Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode number eight. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, and discover the treasure in Christianity. This week, we're discussing chapter three of Not a Fan by Kyle Edelman, titled Knowledge About Him or Intimacy With Him. We hope you'll come along for the conversation. You can be a part of it by leaving your comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash eight. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode in the same place. I kind of felt like chapter three was kind of more of the same, <laughs> although although I, I give him a gold star today. I expected oh. to read whenever I see these cha- these um, Bible references. Like so, this one the on page forty one it says Luke seven. So yeah. what I've gotten into the habit of, and actually this is a good outcome of this process. I go straight to the the text now. And I read the text, then I read a commentary or two, and then I compare it to what he has to say about the text, because so far, he has kind of a losing streak in terms of y- using the text correctly, or, like, yeah, taking the right message from the text and then applying it. So, actually, I thought he was kind of on to something, and actually what he said about the whole uh, thing in Luke 7 seemed to square with what I thought. So... I guess we've got a thumbs up there in terms of uh, sort of on the mark. Um, I'm nodding but, my head in agreement. Yeah. Um, although I kind of got to the end of the chapter, and I have a I have a problem with the question he raises at the end of the chapter. Maybe we'll get to that eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of my that's my uh, first thoughts on chapter three. How about you? Nice. Well, you know, I, 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 I agree with you. I was nodding my head when you were talking about, you know, he seems like he's using the text better. And I really like that idea you had of like, you know, as soon as he, you know, if he leads off the chapter with like a subtitle, that's a, if he leads off the chapter of the book with a, cha- with a subtitle, that, that's a chapter in the Bible or a reference in the Bible that you would go right there. And then you might read something independent on that section of the Bible and then come back and read him. I, I really like that. Uh, so you're you're ahead of the game as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I, I didn't do that. I just went to the the his chapter and read him, and I thought, okay, you know, I'd forgotten about this story. I had totally forgotten about this story, and I'd forgotten about the whole thing about uh, you know not washing his feet and all, all of this. My, I I really like this chapter. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I know I'm I'm really out of character. <laughs> I, I've been hating his stuff so far not hating it but i've got a lot negative to say probably say more than i have but i i really like this um this whole thing about i i, I mean i will pick some bones but i i think the whole thing about uh knowledge is is really important in these sort of different types of knowledge if you like um do you want me to go on or do you want to oh, okay yeah keep going yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, so here's the idea for me. Um, I think uh, the problem I have, and, and so this is actually part of some of the stuff I did in my, my graduate research is this question of knowledge. And I was looking then at, at, at Augustine and how Augustine kind of works with some of this stuff and using his, him as some examples. The thing I don't like is that 
the English language in some areas helps us out. You know, it kind of does a good job. It, it kind of describes the realities pretty well. Here, I think it kind of uh, lets us down in a big way because we have this really strong sense, this word knowledge, which is strong. And then we have two other words that we can use when we're talking about this kind of... So knowledge, as, uh, I would use as to do with knowledge of facts, knowledge of situations. But when it comes to knowledge of persons and knowledge of relationships, we either have acquaintance which seems this kind of weaker cousin to the word knowledge. We have this word intimacy, which is, you know, everybody automatically thinks of sex or, like, like guys don't say, you know, this is my intimate friend. Like, <laughs> we just don't say that. That doesn't work. I, it might work with women. It might. I don't know for sure. They might kind of feel that, eh, this is my close friend or whatever. It sounds better. You know, we have an intimate relationship. just kind of brings us all, almost always back to sex. And so, for me, without getting too highbrow, what I do, what I would do is I would, I, I use either the German or the French because they both are helpful. They both have two verbs that do not have this difference in strength or this difference in kind of, you know, intimacy is really kind of specific. And I think that this is, this is bang on, this knowledge about God versus relational knowledge with God. And so knowledge about God, in, in French terms, the two verbs are savoir, which is, you, you don't use that for facts. Like, I know an address, I know a telephone number, I know what the answer to a math problem is, I know when Napoleon entered Russia back in the 1900s. You'd never use the word connaître. Connaître is used for people, only people. Maybe your dog or, you know, things you can relate to, living things. Um, and there are some, some, some mild exceptions, but, but by and large, the, Facts are savoir and connaître is people, and both are equally strong. There's not some sort of you know knowledge versus this watered down acquaintance. So yeah, I mean I would say that whole idea of knowing about God, um, the savoir about God, is really important. But this idea of knowing God through relationship, this kind of relational knowing, is key. And so I. That part I really, really liked about this. Let, 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 let's do this. Because this, this really kicked me when I was reading it. I really liked this. So I read all of, this is, his subtitle to the chapter is Luke 7. But he's really only dealing with about the last, not even half, like 40%. Which, which to his credit, is not out of context or anything. Like, it seems like there's a hard transition yeah, when he goes to Simon's house, it's a, it's a hard transition. It's not like he pulled out one verse or something. So I'm cool with True that. True enough. True enough, yeah. But, but, but what I'm thinking about is that um, uh, he's got what, – what he's got here, and, and I love this, when you're looking and you start digging into some of the uh, – how the text is put together. We talk about that as poetics. It doesn't mean like it's poetry as opposed to prose. It means it's it, the structure, like how we've kind of laid it out. Like what are the tactics, if you like? And he's got this, this story of Simon, uh, the Pharisee. And before it, he's got this long thing going on about, you know, who Jesus is. And it starts, there's two things that kind of bracket this for me. He's got this story, uh, which isn't the first one, but it's the, the second one in to the chapter about the uh, Roman centurion. 
And, <clears throat> oh, pardon me, it is the first chapter. Yeah. No, so the centurion is the first one, starting in uh, verse 1, verse 2. So he's got the centurion. And the remarkable thing about the centurion is the centurion says, uh, you know, you, you, I'm not worthy to have you in my house. And you don't need to come because I know what it is to be in charge. I'm in charge of people and tell them to do this and do that, and they do it. You are in charge of much more than that. You have only to say the word, and it will happen. And and Jesus' comment is, I'm reading from the NRSV uh, in verse uh, 9, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And if we skip all the way to the end, he closes out the chapter. He's talking to this woman, the same woman that uh, uh, Kyle... Uh, the author has talked about in his, the in his book the woman who has come in interrupted the dinner party who is a sinner um, translation she's a prostitute and uh, she she has responded well to Jesus she has she has valued him she has treated him well and uh, according to the customs of the time whereas Simon the Pharisee has insulted him and ignored him and his very last uh, he closes out the chapter seven uh, verse fifteen he says. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so there's this, there's these kind of two bookends of these people who are totally ostracized. Like the centurion is, is the imperial presence. Is like, the centurion is part of the reality that Israel is still in some sense in exile. They're back in Israel, but they're occupied. They're, you know, they're, they're not being the Israel that, that God told them that God, that they could be. They're not being the Israel that they should be. Um, Getting the oppressor out is a big deal. And so, you know, this whole idea that we talked about last time about, you know, you're going to be our king was all about, you know, in relation to that tension with, you know, we've got this imperial oppressor here and you're going to help us get rid of him. Well, kind of, but not the way you think. Um, and so you've got this guy who's, who's the baddest of the bad. He's a centurion. He's in charge of the bad guys. And Jesus says, you're more of an example than, than all the people in Israel. And then you've got this prostitute who is the lowest of low. And, and, and by her faith, she's freed. And in the middle, you have these, this, these discussions, right? You've got stuff going on with Jesus healing and, and John saying, Hey, are you the one? And then you've got, you've got Simon. And it's, it was just really, really striking to me that, um, particularly with Simon, the Pharisee, this person who is, you know, supposed to be the epitome of good Israel, that, He's less than the, the the head of the bad guys, the centurion, and he's less than the lowest of his own kind. And uh, so that the whole idea of, like, who am I most like in the story, you know, I think the story's a little broader than that, right? And this story, too, it's really hard because it's really pointed. You know, you want to be like the woman in this case. But it doesn't mean that all, you know, you can't always <laughs> reduce it to that, right? You can't always put yourself in that type of situation, or see it as applicable. So it's really kind of, yeah, the do yous don't really often match up to real life. To use your friend's words. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, so, so I mean, I like that kind of, the whole thing about faith there. And I wonder, too, if that's also, if he could have brought that more into it, you know, that, the Simon had knowledge, but he had, at least in the words of the gospel writer, uh, this notion of faith is key, which the centurion had and the prostitute had, and Simon had none of, apparently. But why would he? 
Well, I guess I answered my own question there because one of the one of the commentaries I was reading suggested that Simon would have had an incredible amount of knowledge based on who he was, being mm-hmm. a Pharisee and the amount of training and amount of mm-hmm. uh, memorization and his knowledge of all the texts mm-hmm. would have. In other words, he should have. He should have known who Jesus was. Yeah, you know what? I, no. Well, I, I don't know. Like the one is the one is head knowledge, you know, and and I think that they're related. You have to have some knowledge of the, of of, you know, who some knowledge, some information about someone. You also need knowledge about the world, how the world works, and so you know, for Augustine, there are sort of these these three categories. There's kind of. Uh, Factual knowledge about God, factual knowledge about the world, and then there's personal and, and intimate knowledge about God. I think there's also personal and intimate knowledge about the world in the sense that our human relationships inform and are informed by our relationship with God. There's this kind of reciprocity there. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Like, I guess, I guess it's the experiential part, and the the, the thing that I mean, I was, I was, I was. I was deeply struck, deeply touched, actually, because I'd forgotten this story completely. I'd just forgotten it. And, and, and uh, I couldn't believe on... Uh, where is he writing here? On page 50, when he, I thought, and he can't be quoted directly, really? <laughs> he was. He was. He's totally like Luke 47, 44 to 46. And, 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 and he, he, he shows, you know, basically this woman is not using any knowledge about God to treat, um, Jesus with respect and love and kindness. It's just, it's just simple everyday things that everyone there would know. And that, that's astonishing really when you think about it, you know, her ability to love me is not predicated on what she knows about me, but on what she knows about being in this world, living as a human being, in this culture, she's doing for me the things that you did not. She doesn't know the things you do know. But the things you do know did not prepare you or allow you even to do this. Even to do these simple things that this woman is doing. And, uh, yeah, I, I was I was pretty, I was pretty touched by that, actually. You know, I think that sometimes when stories are when you forget about them, or things that you, maybe there's things you come to for the first time, and they can be really, really potent. But, yeah, the thing that bothers me, though, is is that, that part at the end, where he wants to come back to this kind of right and wrong. <clears throat> Not that I don't think some things are right and some things are wrong, but, you know, <clears throat> this who am I most like in the story, maybe sometimes we need to ask ourselves, and maybe it is as simple sometimes as saying, you know, I'm really like this person who has a lot of head knowledge, and yet it doesn't mean much to me. But I think the other part of it is, is that, you know, I, you know, and I, I appreciate you, you have to read into the story. You know, he's, he's got this whole thing on page 49 after he says, you know, uh, while Jesus is eating at this Pharisee's house, a woman comes on the scene. Verse 37 tells us she was a sinner. So in other words, she's a prostitute. And then verse page 49, he's all uh, <clears throat> about probably what it meant for this woman to be there. 
Yeah, you know, that she shouldn't have been there and she would have known that. You know, she was. There was something compelling. And that, that piece is not explained in the text, but it's gripping. I mean, that, that's where they want you to go. And I think that's where the first century reader would do differently than us. Because we just read that and say, uh-huh, 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 we take it in factually. The first century reader would say, would be, um, shocked, aghast, uh, They'd feel a sense of, of, of shame and wrongness. And that this woman is there. You know, it, it is shameful to the people who are there. It is wrong. She should know she should not be there. They should know she should not be there and should be, should be getting rid of her. Well, I wondered if there was even a notion, the fact that she was a woman. Like, weren't yeah. women in society at that time not the... In other words, it wasn't the... I, I want to say equal like today, but I'm sure there are women that would listen to this and say it's not equal today. It's still so. I don't want to get into the whole thing. Uh, let's just yeah. say today I think it's much better than it may have been then. But in the little reading and research I did, th- it was not out of the question that someone would have dropped by this gathering because a teacher or a prophet or a rabbi was was there. Mm-hmm. And it was known that he was there, so it was it was somewhat understood that it would be natural for people to drop by to hear him speak. But th- so I expected to kind of come across the fact that oh, it was like the fact that a woman was coming to this gathering was totally crossing a whole bunch of lines too. But I didn't find anything like that. Do you know anything about I the think, culture then, and if that would have been? I think it's right. I think you're right. I think that. Um, that would be really, really strange. Uh, you know, and that, that she's known to be a prostitute is sort of this, you know, added kick. But, yeah, I, I think you're right. You know, I do, I do think that would be very unusual, because, particularly because, <clears throat> you know, you've got, this isn't like a discourse, right? You know, you could go to the synagogue and there would be a discourse, and you don't have to be, well, whatever you had to be to go to the synagogue, you had to be but you didn't have to have knowledge. Whereas this is a discussion between two teachers, right? So the discourse is going to come at you from the synagogue, let's say. It's going to come at you from the uh, the Torah, and then you're going to have readings out of the, the, the Targum, which is the Aramaic sort of interpretation of the Torah, because at that point it was not, Hebrew was not spoken. Right? It was not uh, writ- written and read by, by, by non-priests, non-educated people. And so it's even more strange to me, I guess, that I think it's one thing if there's a teacher there, it's just, it's, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I would just think that this discussion is going to be at a much higher level. And you're probably much more likely to have other teachers or whatever. You're not going to have people who aren't educated necessarily come by. I, maybe I'm wrong, but... But yeah, the whole woman thing I think is really valid. I don't think that women would be there, and certainly not, certainly not this type of woman. Like I think Simon's response is right for the culture. You know, he's he's offended, and and we should all be offended with him if we're first century readers, right? That's how we're going to respond, and that's you know I, I don't agree with it, but that's that's where they'd be at, and that's the response that we should have if we're taking it on as the audience that you know it was originally intended for, and then Jesus gives this little. Uh, 
you know, example, this question, the two debtors, one who owes 500 and one who, who owes 50, and if both have forgiven their debts, who, who will love their creditor more? And, and, and Simon, you know, gets the right answer. Well, the one who is forgiven more. And it's at that point that Jesus says, you know, and I, I love the way he starts this. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she's bathed my feet with tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Yeah. And then he makes it about you know, I find this deeply touching. He makes it about forgiveness of sins. Which I think is really striking, because I'm not sure if Simon would see it that way at all. You know, because I don't think Simon would see, you know, the whole thing about debts is about sins. Right? You know, your sins are forgiven. Your 500 worth of sins are forgiven. And I wonder if Simon's asking himself, if he's even figuring, hey, I'm the guy with 50. You know, but for me, that's just so, uh, it was so potent because she's doing everything, you know, and in a certain sense, yeah, okay, I'll go along with what, what God's saying. There is a certain, but this is, this is it. This, this is where it meets the, the point. And we've got to take it the extra step. And maybe he will in the next chapter, but he hasn't so far, is that, Yes, it is about knowledge and relationship. It is about right relational orientation. But all of these things she's doing, she's showing up. She's, she's letting her hair down. She's taking on a role she should not. And the whole thing about the alabaster and the ointment, I've done no research on that. He might be right on that. It might, it might be that, you know, this is, this is, you know, this is liquid that <laughs> is usually used for another purpose, you know, and, uh, pricey as it is, uh, it's kind of tainted along with her. But um, Jesus sees this as, you know, it's another example, like, like the woman who has, who comes to the offering box and has so little and gives the tiniest bit, but she's given more than all the other people because relatively speaking, she's given a far greater percentage of what she has than they have. But these are all the actions. I mean, this is extravagance. And, and it, when, when he's talking about, what's, what's, what's the word he likes to use? Um, let me write this down. He likes to use, um, oh, help me out. What's that word? Jesus will like mess you up. Oh, interfere. Interfere, interfere yes. Yeah. This is where, this is where it doesn't work. This, this part, I, I think he's, if he doesn't mend it, it's dead off. Uh, I'll go that far. It's not about Jesus interfering. It's about a type of relationship that prompts this sort of extravagant response. And extravagance and abundance come together. And they come out of, and, and this is, you know, it is about knowledge, but it's about love. Right? What you're seeing is somebody who's in love. You're seeing somebody who's deeply, deeply touched deeply touched, who is overwhelmed, and who has had their, you know, something something incredibly crucial is happening 
to them. And there's a potential for something incredibly crucial. And out of this, this idea of interfering is, is just the wrong way of looking at it. Sorry, you're going to say. Well, I'm going to take us in a completely different direction. <laughs> so finish. Go for it. Do you have more you wanted to add? No, I just I would just look look more deeply into that, like the basis for um, this kind of relational knowing, if you like, what I've called kanetra, and he he talks about the Hebrew word yada, on page forty seven. I don't know, like I'm not even I'd be, I'd be tempted. Who in the story am I most like? Okay, good question. Who do I want to be like? Yeah. What touched me? What touched me in this story? Why? You know, and and, and I think the story. Obviously, if you if you read it out of uh, the text, the Bible, it's much more compelling than it is from what he's presented. Even though, even with all the stuff he's given, I appreciate the kind of extra stuff. Um, but I think this is the problem. We, we you know, intimacy. We're, we're still not quite there yet. We're still not to this idea that really what we're seeing and what we should be seeing is love. And and you know, and, and that this is something you can't just. You can't just drum up. You can't say, hey, gee, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to love Jesus. So, and, so on the topic of love, this is where I want to take it. So, yeah. Um, so I'm reading from a commentary, uh, Wolford and Zook. Um, here's what they say about verses seven, chapter seven, 44 to 50. And, right. and so I want to kind of lay down this idea. And, and the idea is that, um, she, she has been forgiven and therefore she loves. And so I'm going to read a little bit of that. But what I want to set up is so much of my Christian experience has been you should believe Jesus and you should give your life to him because of how much he loved you and dying on the cross. So like, you know, the old Keith Green thing, you know, Jesus rose from the dead and you can't even get out of bed. You know, the, the whole Jesus did this. <laughs> Jesus did this horrendous thing. For you, the least you could do is believe and follow him. So, so anyway, okay, so they basically say, the woman had been forgiven much, and therefore she loved Jesus very much. Jesus was not implying that the Pharisee did not have much need for forgiveness. His point was that a sinner who is forgiven is naturally going to love and thank the one who has forgiven her. Simon's treatment of Jesus differed vastly from the woman's, you've, which you've said. She was evidencing that she loved Jesus she was evidencing that she loved Jesus for she realized that she had been forgiven much. She realized that she was a sinner and needed forgiveness. Yeah. Okay. But, but the woman was not forgiven because of her love. Rather, she loved because she was forgiven. That sounded profound to me. And like, there was something to take from that, but it also, I don't know. It, it, Maybe that's my own baggage speaking through here, but just this notion of, um, and I've also heard it said, you know, if you can really get your head around like what Jesus did for you, then you will totally want to give your life to him. Like this kind of quid pro quo, um, which I don't know. Again, it could just be my baggage screaming at me but it's something spells smells stinky here kind of this uh i don't know i think i've opened up two or three different things there can you <laughs> help me untangle them yeah i know i really like that i think you're i think you're right i mean part of the thing i'm just sort of quietly flipping through 
there's, a, there's this great, uh, great point um, that an author made, and that, uh, I thought would be really helpful for this. I can't find it, so I'll just pull it out of my head. Um, but I mean, you get the other part of chapter seven here, right? You've got the starts off with the centurion, and you've got faith, and then and then right after that. Um, He's approached, and I, I, I've forgotten about this too. Now soon afterwards he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. And he, as he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died had been carried out. And um, I'll skip a couple verses. This was 11 and 12. Um, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Do not weep. Then he came forward and touched the, bri- the buyer, and the, bu- and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. Um, and then there's the question of John. John's disciples come in verse 18. And they, they kind of, in 19, they say, are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? And um, Jesus, in verse, a few verses later, I, I'm skipping because I don't want to read all this. So I want to get to the point. Uh, and he answered, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them. And so, on the one hand, I think, yeah, it it is about God acting on my behalf. But honestly, I've got no, I mean, this may sound completely, uh, I don't know, most people may think this is heartless or whatever, but I, I have no personal attachment to Jesus dying on the cross for me. I, I, I don't. You know? And, that and sounds I don't scandalous. Think uh, yeah, it does sound scandalous. But, 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 I mean, think about it. What are you attaching yourself to? You're really, what you're attaching yourself to, when people say that, what they're really saying is, I sense in my life that I've done things that, 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 that make me into a person I don't want to be and that I can't live with and that maybe other people can't live with. Like this woman, I'm, extracised, I'm ostracized. Maybe even it's just personal. I'm ostracized for myself. That's a big deal. These are people who you know have trouble sleeping at night. People who worry about things they've done. People who find they get into relationships and they screw them up and they have to ask themselves why. You know, I, I'm not trying to just bring a bunch of psych, babble stuff in, but 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 you know, this idea of being alienated from yourself in an unnatural way because of things that you've done. I, I think when we attach ourselves to the idea of Jesus having died for us on the cross, what we are doing, we are still coming back to the concrete. No one lives in the abstract. No one says to themselves, this is a great thing because of look at what it does for humanity. If they're thinking that way or looking, look at what the theological implications are. I mean, they may have those thoughts and they may understand those things, but if it grips them in a personal way, it's because it grips them at a personal level for themselves, about themselves, just like it did for this woman. But I think the other, the added part that has to come into this is that we are always seeing, you know, if people are turning, if people are starting to believe, it's not because Jesus is saying, listen, you've all got a lot of problems here. Israel's fallen down in terms of the covenant. And I, I would, I would totally go back to covenant on this. I think, I think N.T. Wright and, and going in that direction is exactly where we need to go with this. Uh, you've all failed in the covenant. Israel has not done what it's supposed to do. And I'm going to do that. That is not I think that's 100% true. 
I, I completely believe that is the theological reality of what Jesus did. But every single one of these people that's, that's, that's hot on him is hot on him because of what he has done there, then, for them, for this person, for that person over here. You know? So it's an individual thing. It's not the global that Jesus died on the cross. In other words, making, putting it in today's terms, would you see it the same way that? I would say that the idea is that Jesus dying on the cross is, is crucial. But Jesus healing is crucial for me. I need that healing. And, and, you know, as, as the quote that I was trying to pull out of, um, my thesis was just about this idea that, you know, these stories are structured in different ways. If you look at how Luke has laid it out, and Mark has laid it out, and Matthew's laid it out, and some of John, you're not going to find it structured in the same way. They're not trying to tell you a chronology or a story or a historiography like we would tell it now. They're trying to take events and they put them in different orders and put different emphasis and they're doing it to bring about a certain point. They're not fabricating it. It's not fabrication. But it's not told the way we would tell it. And so one of the points that this author raised is, you know, it doesn't matter that Jesus healed this person in that way or that person in this way. It matters that Jesus healed. Ooh, I love I that. Would, it, that comes back to the, I'm still thinking about your point, the point that you raised, I think it was last time about creation and everything. And it's not how, but why. Yeah. That's profound. I think it is the same thing here, right? It is. And I would go a step further. I would take that. It's, it's not that Jesus healed in this way or in that way, but that Jesus healed. And I, and I have to say this for some people, you know, and, and this, this, this may get me into a lot of trouble, but I think I would add to that and that Jesus heals even me. Now, it can't mean every me. It can't mean every person. And maybe it's not like that, you know? What I'm getting at is that it's, the author's quote, some, you know, point was, it doesn't matter that Jesus healed this person in that way or that person in this manner, but that Jesus healed. And my point is, and that Jesus heals still, and that Jesus heals me. Literally, like I'm literally, that, that literally is the point of connection, that my life has been healed through contact, that I would be morally, I, I, I would not be able to live with myself morally if I said that this contact was, was you know, coincidental or that the things that happened to me, eh, maybe that was God, maybe that wasn't God. You know, I, I don't know, I don't have cert Cartesian certainty about the matter, but I don't have that about anything in my life. But the best bet I have, the best understanding I have, is that the situations in my life that were so transformative in terms of God were of God. These, tra these transformative and healing situations. And I'm not saying that everybody, you know, has to have these types of things, but I think a lot of people do. And I think a lot of people in churches are sitting around in churches saying that, oh yeah, I've got to believe this because Jesus died on the cross and, you know, I don't want to go to hell. And it comes back to Kyle Eidelman's question on what is that page 21 i think it's the famous 21 page. i hate page 21 you know it's about reward or punishment no it ain't it's not about reward or punishment it's about does god love you what does that mean how would you know yeah which interestingly enough is the 
the last question on page 51 of this chapter, which is, I'm not going to ask if you know... Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm not going to ask if you know about him. I'm going to ask if you know him. And I wrote, no, I don't know him. Now what? Yeah. Which I feel like the book fails... The rest of the book I keep reading, and I think this is why the book was given to me, was to help me really know him. And, yeah, I'm kind of left kind of where I've been for a long time, which is, okay, so what's the next step? Um, Now, someone recently suggested to me that the next step is just having faith and surrendering, but that leaves me in the same place, too. Um, yeah, it does. It's so good. Like, how do you do that? What does it look like? To which I think they would probably say, well, you're just thinking about it too hard. You just need to let go and surrender and do, uh, which this is probably like seven more podcasts. But <laughs> where, yeah, what each person has a history. I have many years of history of my own personality and all kinds of things I bring to the mix. And I don't know, it's frustrating on a really deep level to get suggestions like that and then to kind of read something like this that's just begging this yeah. question of do you really know him and i'd say okay if i may be brutally honest i would say no i don't really know him in the way that i hear you describe and that i hear other people describe and it's like okay i've, I've answered that question but now what like i'm stuck see it's, it's the content of that knowing it's the content of that knowing that matters because knowing and knowing about cannot be ing- easily distinguished uh, unless you, you know, I, I think this example here in, in the latter part of Luke 7 is perfect. It is really perfect. It's, it's, it's excruciatingly absurd, the difference in these two people. You know, this, this incredibly powerful, knowledgeable uh, priest, part of the elite, and this this destitute, despised, powerless woman. And, uh, you know, I guess my, my response about, you know, you just have to have faith. Faith is born out of something like, like it, 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 here, I mean, I'd like to see if I can bring this up. Man, I hate when I close this book and I just need it one second later. But, oh man. I'm not gonna find it. It's this great, great, great quote um, by Augustine, and I'm not, a, I'm not a huge Augustine fan. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, he wrote so much, though, that it's easy to be both a big fan and not a big fan at the same time. Um, the quote I was looking for is, ta- is talking about faith, hope, and love, and he basically says, you know, but, but love being the greatest, faith without love is meaningless, and hope without love is has no purpose, and so. I don't think you can do that. I don't like. I don't think it's it, it. It's a it's an exercise in duty. If you're just putting your faith in God, you're going back to duty. But the thing that characterizes those, as we talked about last time in Jeremiah thirty one thirty three, that characterizes the people of, of of the new covenant is the law is written upon their heart. You do the law because you are in love, not because you are compelled to through duty. You are not. Duty does not push you. Love draws you. That's the essence of what it is to be a follower of God. If that's not there, then there's something crucially wrong. Like, you, you know, and I think, I think what, I mean, 
what I hear you you saying to me, I sum up as just powerful honesty. And I think for a lot of these people, I mean, I, I just wonder. I wonder what's going on. I wonder why they do what they do. I wonder why they sit in church. And it seems to me, you know, and it's, you know, sorry, Kyle, but man, in my books, like page 21, you've got like an F minus. <laughs> That, 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 that's, 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 that's so bad. That, that's just not where it's at. That is so off the chart. Because you're not putting money in the bank for later. Jesus is not putting money in the bank. If you think about the parable of the people with the talents, you know, I've given this much to one, and they invested and did something much, and gives this much to another, and they did this with it, and I gave this much to another, and he buried it in the ground and gave it back to me. That's, 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 that's what I see the Kyle Eidelman model being. Sorry, gotta be blunt. It's just sticking it in the ground and waiting for later. And, and no, yeah, I'm sure he's doing lots of things and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? If it doesn't mean something now, if it's about Jesus healing in the New Testament, well, that's fine and good, but I don't live in the New Testament. I live now. And I have issues now. And I have problems now. And people around me have problems now. And what I need is somebody who's, who can be here now, where there's truth and reality, and there's, there's this kind of introduction in terms of knowledge of, of, an, of, a, of an entity, you know, as Jesus or God. There's this, what I call savoir knowledge that comes to me through this text, but I need this as a relational reality. I need this in the lived, my lived existence. I need this in the here and now. And if this doesn't come, not only is something that I can feel good about, but something that can be part of my life as, as, you know, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Of course he sees the woman. She's right there. She's been there the whole time, offending him and everyone around him. Do you see her? No, you don't. You haven't seen her the whole time. Let me let me tell you what she is. Let me show you what she's doing. She got it right away, and she violated scads of cultural mores and scads of rules. And in, in, in this part, I think he's right. I think he's got this one right. She couldn't help herself. You know, she came. She's desperate to express the love and affection she feels for him. I don't know about that. But there is something going on. There is something powerful going on for this woman. And she... She's had a deep experiential understanding of who Jesus is. That, that I'll say. Is love involved there? I think so. Affection? I don't know about that. I don't know what, what would have gone on there. But there's, there's something that's taken place for her that's changed her life. So as we kind of close this out, so, so I would, my impression talking to you is you've had a profound experience. The lady in, in this chapter had a profound experience. Uh, a book I recently read called Wrecked um, kind of follows on this notion of kind of reckless abandon, although the contention of that book is that that reckless abandon kind of takes you to the next level and you can't get there until you're willing to kind of do that. What I hear you saying, though, is it's the opposite. It just happens. And so, it's not about being willing. And no. so, okay, so, so I guess the closing question for you is, what do you say to someone in, in, in the state that I've described, where I'm at? Do, what, what's the next step for me? Is it, 
because uh, I've kind of I've kind of given up on a number of different levels. Like church doesn't do it for me. Um, mm-hmm. I've pursued knowledge and reading books and all that kind of stuff. That's I feel like that helps me take kind of incremental steps. But yet mm-hmm. this kind of big step of the heart or big something that just kind of comes out of me. Like I feel like I almost have to wait for that. I can't manufacture that. No. And so some around me criticize me for not going to church because I've, you know, I'm not putting myself into an environment that could really help me get to the next level. But yet I keep coming back to this thing of, I tried for so many years to, to take that next step and, I guess the question I'm asking, and maybe I'm answering at the same time, is I feel like the answer for me is to just, in a certain sense, sit on my butt and pray and wait. And yet, I don't feel like that's accepted by a lot of the people around me. So I've asked like seven yeah. questions there. Maybe you can answer one of them and we can close today yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Well, you know, I think you're doing more than that, though. I mean, we're doing these podcasts, we're reading these books, we're we're interacting on the blog, we're... There's lots of stuff going on. You know, you're doing a lot of stuff. I mean, what would I say generically to somebody? I, I guess, you know... Um, there's, there's lots of lots of questions. Uh, my hope in doing this, too, in this, doing this podcast... I was telling my mm-hmm. wife the other day, I said, you know, there's got to be like one other person, maybe two out in the world that is stuck in exactly the same place I am. And maybe this is helpful yeah. to them. I, I would hope that yeah. it is. I would hope so, too. You know, and uh, I find it really helpful. I mean, it's it's good. One of the things I find particularly helpful is I would not come across these books. I would not read them or reading through getting to page 21. I would just, you know, toss it in the pile of unused and unnecessary material. And, uh, uh, or never to be used again, unnecessary material. And, you know, it's good. It's good to go through it and it's good to talk about it. But I mean, yeah, part of that process, I think is, is, is there's a whole process of figuring out who you are, you know, uh, you know, who am I, who do I want to be? Where have I come from? You know, um, what do I value that, that whole, I remember you and I talked uh, a while back about the. The why questions, you know, asking a questions. Why, why do I, why do I care about belief in God? Answer the question. And then pick out the, the kind of the salient part of that and ask the question why and go through that three or four levels deep. And you're going to come to some profoundly important things about just truths of, about the world as you see it. And I think having those and knowing those is really crucial. I, I think coming to this whole process, I mean, because it, we're, we're entering into a relationship and that this piece about knowledge, again, I, I really think this is, this is good. It's not, there's some problems with it, as I've noted from my perspective, but really good. But part of that whole piece about relationship is knowing yourself. So if somebody was in this position, I would, I would encourage them. And I, and I know that you've taken a lot of steps in that direction, you know, and, and I guess one of the other things I would say, and I want to be careful too about this other piece that I mentioned about, you know, experiencing God's love I don't think that, on the one hand, you know, a, a good uh, a mentor challenged me and said, you know, a lot of people, though, are looking for this kind of shot in the arm about God. And you, the, the, you, you, you can't, this can't be a shot in the arm. I said, no, it's not a shot, shot in the arm. You know, I, I think if, if something is deeply transformative, it's, it's, like a, it's like a monument. 
it becomes like a monument. It's, it's there over time. It's just there. So I'm not suggesting that we need a shot in the arm, this kind of uh, emotional high. Um, I'm also not suggesting, I guess, that everybody's going to be able to put up a monument. But maybe some of those people that do um, need to be able to put that out there in a way that other people can access. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so leave a comment on iTunes or at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash eight. If you'd like to receive email notifications of new episodes or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available in the right sidebar of the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Tune in next week for a new episode. Music on this podcast is made available by Kevin McLeod over at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Thanks to Kevin for his generosity. Support him at his website by going to Incompetech.com I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-E-C-H dot com. <laughs>